Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Audio Football Club, in association with Tag Heuer, the official timekeeper of the Premier League. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today, David De Gea is sensational as Ole Gunnar Solskjaer wins his biggest game so far as Manchester United manager. Arsenal don't know what to do with Meza Ozil and Fulham are just about as unlucky as it's possible to be at Turf Moor. It's transfer window time and we take a look at Marco Arnautovic's potential big money mega move to China and whether Christian Pulisic is the new Eden Hazard or a cunning ploy for better brand awareness in the key revenue markets of North America. Romantic. Plus, a whistle-stop tour around Europe including reaction to Ramsey's relocation to Turin and JJ Ball has nothing but good things to say about Chris Hewton, but quite frankly, who doesn't? Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by our star striker back after a brief but grueling summer training camp on a Mexican beach. It's Mina Rizuki. How are you, Mina? Oh, I'm, I'm barely human. Oh, come I'm on. happy to be here. Not well rested. I am not at all well rested. It turns out that I was there during a festival sound tulum i don't even understand music i still listen to 80s stuff so i was just like the wrong place to be my god in last night and i am somewhat shattered but happy to be here good glad to hear it mina also back in the seat he has made his own for two weeks in a row it's our workman-like midfield general the boy wonder sam dean what's going on sam i'm feeling uh, increasingly awkward at the uh, the boy wonder moniker Come but on. I, I quite like the fact that i'm now taking over from matt law I'm, I'm trying to sort of make that a thing. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure Matt Law will be delighted mm. to hear that. Finally, it's the tactically astute roaming fullback who Pep Guardiola loves putting an arm around and whispering <laughs> intensely into his ear. It's JJ Ball. A fullback? Yeah. No. That's the best position in football. It is currently. not. It's the one I can't play. I can't do fullback. Well, Always look, Pep, Pep will make you do it, JJ, and you'll be happy doing it. God, you'll be just mesmerised by his talk. Oh, my God, just imagine that blackboard. Let's, ah. let's not get into Pep straight off the yeah. bat. Instead, <laughs> let's focus on Spurs versus Manchester United. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, first of all, he got Manchester United scoring. Does this game and this result prove he can organise a defence as well, Mina? No. Oh, uh, it's not that I don't think he can. I thought that they were well organised. I thought they were very impressive, to be honest. This was the match that everyone was like, oh, well, this is this is going to show us whether or not this Manchester United really are changed because they've had 
easy matchups until now. But for me, it was a case of in the first half, Spurs were just bad tactically. They had left lots of spaces in the wide areas, which just became so easy for United to exploit. But in terms of defending, once they once Spurs adjusted tactically in the second half, it was all about De Gea. And your goalkeeper doesn't need to be that important if your actual defense was very, very good, in my opinion. It was a case of they all positioned themselves rather well at times um, for United, but it was a little... It wasn't proactive enough. There wasn't. They, they were just standing in front of the person who had the ball, but they weren't doing enough to try to take the ball, to intercept, to tackle, to actually stop the avenues and cut out the, the passes into the, into the likes of Harry Kane or whomever it was at Spurs. So for me, it was like, yes, they were defending. I mean, they were p- well positioned, but I didn't think they were proactive enough. I think it needed a little bit more. Had uh, had Spurs had their shooting boots on, they would have possibly scored two or three and had De Gea not been at the back. I don't know what would have happened. But either way, it was good for United, a good match. What about De Gea, though, Sam? Is he the same uh, to United as what Fernandinho is to Manchester City? Uh, that is to say, just completely irreplaceable. You can't imagine them being anything like as good without him in the team. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely fair. Uh, I think I saw sort of the response to some of his saves were, well, well, they're all quite savable. I think that's sort of a fair, a fair-ish point that there were no absolute worldy saves in there. Like, they were all sort of on their own. You could see why he said in the finishing wasn't great, but the sheer volume of the saves and the sheer amount of times he just pulled his team out. There. Did you see the Ben Foster tweet as yes. well, though, where he said the, the the important thing about De Gea, which you probably don't realise unless you're unless you're a goalkeeper, mm. is half the battle is actually being in the position to make those saves quite comfortably. Mm. And I also like the way how every time he saves it with, with his feet or whatever, he either holds it or the ball goes miles. Like he, if he saves it with his feet, he clears the penalty area at least, and it's going thirty yards away. There's never any sort of chance of a of a rebound or a or a sort of scrappy finish afterwards. He always gets rid of the ball and, and ends the action. I think as Pep would describe it. Because he does it as well as feet as well. Because strikers are always trained to or coached to shoot low. I suppose a goalkeeper has to get down. So because they are standing up, it's harder to get down than it is just to go at head height. So all those shots were going low, and he was saving them with his feet, which no other keeper really seems to do. Um, it's always like when you're playing even at like five-a-side level, something like that, when there's a goalkeeper who keeps stopping everything, you start thinking, like, how am I ever going to score against this guy? And then you start trying a bit harder, so you start hitting it a bit harder, or you or you just forget what you're doing because you're thinking too much, like how are you going to catch him out or do something like that? That must be happening as well when you're playing against a goalie who's getting everything away. Did you see um, on Match of the Day how they showed you Hugo Lloris and... and uh in comparison to De Gea yeah. and how they were both lined up. And I think that's what it is that's so different about De Gea is he, he always knows how to position himself. How were they lined up, Mina? Explain for those of us who did not watch Match of the Day too. So basically it was a case of, you know, there was two exact shots. Um, one, didn't obviously it didn't work out for uh, Spurs in the sense that De Gea was placed inside, so inside the goal. So when the when the cross came in in the same direction that Rashford delivered his cross his pass, um, the, it didn't go in and it was saved because De Gea had moved just a little bit inside of the goal so that the near post was also next to him and he was a little bit out there so that he couldn't actually couldn't it had to hit him as opposed to anywhere else. Whereas with Hugo Lloris, he was now outside of the goal posts and. Uh, which allowed Rashford to go around him and and do a diagonal pass into the goal, and it just it's just a a question of honestly centimeters, and that's the difference between a goal being scored for United and a goal being saved by De Gea. 
There was at least one though, the Deli Alley one when he ran through. I mean, he should have scored that, and that was should have um, gone bottom left, was it? Yeah, exactly. That he yeah. just put that straight down the middle. I bet he knows it now through. though, because you do that, and you and as soon as you hit it, you've gone. Ah, I've just done everything right, but I've not concentrated enough energy on the final hmm. like action. Do you think it becomes psychological after a while that you're just thinking, I can't get over this guy? So. Uh, maybe, but sometimes they just hit it and it goes in. But hmm. I, that, the exact thing I'm thinking of with that Deli Alley shot, you can see that he looks up to this guy. He's like, ah, he knows exactly what he's done because he's just not. I think he just hasn't properly processed what he's doing at the very last action mm. which maybe you don't do when you're a bit older or something I don't know can I just to uh, rebuttal Mina's uh, absolute um, derisory attempt to uh, criticise Solskjaer <laughs> the um, <laughs> the, uh, no, I wasn't. the first half that was a proper tactical job he, Lingard playing yeah. in a sort of false no, nine I thought it was Rashford and Martial running off that was I mean we've seen with Solskjaer that he We've seen the power, we spoke about this last week, the power of psychology that he's had impact on the mentality and the mood around Old Trafford since he came in. But this was the first time he really showed a real tactical sort of brain, I think. And by putting Lingard in that false nine, that created the goal, that stopped Harry Winks getting the ball out for Spurs, and that, that led to that first half of dominance. That was it, yeah. United, I think. I wonder how much Mike Phelan had a, a point in that as well. Cause I, I previewed this, did a tactical preview, looked at it, and all, this, all the space for Man United to attack was behind the fullbacks because they go wide because Spurs play through the middle because they play a 4-4-2 diamond. So it's all very through the middle. But um, what United did was they had the two wide forwards has been talked about a lot, but you had Rashford <coughs> and... <laughs> Sam's just drank too much water. Are you okay? <laughs> So what Man United were doing before Sam drank all his water the wrong way was they had um, one, they had two strikers, but they were playing out wide in the channel, so they were trying to get close to those fullbacks to attack that space. But uh, like Sam was saying, Winks, um, when you look at Spurs' passing maps, it goes between the centre-backs to Winks as this, the six, the defensive midfielder drops deep to link them. And if you do that, it, if you go and mark Winks out of it, it means that you, they can't get the ball forward as they normally would. So it totally disrupts their play, and they weren't able to do anything that first half. They could barely get into it. I mean, they had the offside goal that Kane scored, but they weren't really in the game the first half. I thought it was a great tactical first half by them. I also think that I can't help but blame Pochettino a little bit. He is very narrow, and uh, he should have known that considering how United, you know, the kind of players that they have and the pace that they do they do have, it was easy to just prepare for that match in the sense that you knew just use the channels as much as possible. Obviously, also, when the ball came, I thought Jesse Lingard had been amazing up until that point. But it helped that Dem... Was it Dembele? No, Sissoko that had been taken off mm. with an injury just before that. And they'd lost something in midfield, a little bit of of strength in that midfield to stop that action and perhaps um, added a little bit more defensive strength in the, in the middle. So all in all, though, but once the thing is, is what he did, though, is he made the side go all out attack for an hour and then hope to God that by the time that all their energy had finished off, De Gea would come in or, or there'd be enough for them to see it through. It's just that it's it's a great tactic and, and it works for them on this occasion. But I'm not sure. I mean, you play that game nine out of ten times and, and how many times do you end up with just a 1-0? I think Spurs win that most times because XG says it as well. It was 2-1. Yeah, to one. Exactly. But as well, United, was. I, I don't think they were all like attack. I think they were just doing a really clever counter-attack. They need to keep that United way like Solskjaer was saying after the game where you, you flow forward with wingers and pace and you, you attack. But they only had, I think it's, what's it, 38% or 39% or whatever of possession. They were clearly trying to sit and wait and break on them. Yeah. Sensible though, isn't it? Going into a game like it's that, exactly the, the, the first real test. What what more would you need to see from Solskjaer if you were Ed Woodward between now and the end of the season to convince you that he's the man to do the job? I mean, I don't know. In Real Madrid, the one thing that they said is that they don't necessarily need a tactician, but just somebody who knows how to manage a dressing room. Sometimes when you have a big team and, and a lot of egos in a room, or it, it, 
just, you know, United has that reputation, much like Real Madrid. It's a big club. Do you think it could be like Sudan, where it's just he's a good fit for the club, he understands the club, and there's that affinity which gets you kind of... If you're happy, you just score goals. That's it. You know, if if you're happy, I just feel like it all comes together. And really, he's making the most of what he has at the moment. They do have problems. Defensively, I don't think this is a team that, that can afford to be the way that it does. I still think Victor Lindorov, you know, lost Deli Ali on one of the... He's just not the greatest defender that you're ever going to have. And, and yeah, he's making do and he's doing well. He's just a, he's a guy who's made sure that they're all happy again. Let's move across to a different part of London, to West Ham, where you were on Saturday, Sam. Arsenal beaten away from home. Let's start with Ozil. What's going on there, Sam? Not even in the squad. Mm. Uh, this is becoming, I think, an increasing problem, really, and a bit of a sideshow for Arsenal. I'm not, I'm not sure that's quite what Unai Emery wants to gain out of this. I think it's increasingly clear now that he doesn't want Ozil at the club anymore. I mean, Ozil is a huge drain on finances, and he's causing all sorts of long-term problems structurally, simply by being on those wages. And it's quite clear that Emery doesn't fancy him in his team. Um, the issue is, I think for the first time, really, on Saturday, Arsenal really missed Ozil there were a lot of occasions when they got into good positions to play that final pass which is the one thing that Ozil you know you can't argue with him on that 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 is the one thing he provides more than anyone else and provides better than anyone else and that was really missing and that was really obvious and Socrates said the same after the game that we missed that last pass I mean he didn't he didn't say we missed Ozil he said missed that final pass but that obviously affects Ozil and you look at it and think I don't really see a way out of this situation unless Ozil adapts to Emery's way of playing or training or Emery's methods whatever he's not doing that Emery's not happy with but it's been what, what do you think that is well the, the, he said he said right at the start of the season Emery said Ozil's not Ozil needs to run like the rest of them and press like the rest of them and his whole sort of system is based on that high pressing high intensity game and all very structured and everything sort of fits into place and Ozil notoriously is a more mercurial um <coughs> individualist sort of player um, needs to fit into the team method but it's been about two months now since Ozil first got dropped and that was the away game at Bournemouth and they've not won an away game since then I mean I don't, I don't think that's necessarily because Ozil's not, no, Ozil's not been there but it's clear that making this stand against Ozil hasn't really helped Arsenal they've, they've not got better since he's done that um, I understand the thinking behind it and I think it would be very much in Arsenal's interest for Ozil to leave the club but I can't see that happening because simply who's going to pay that much money to a 30-year-old who's clearly on the wane. It seemed like he was a big part of why they were doing so well at the beginning of the season. In a system like Emery's, can't you just carry someone like that? Like, <laughs> a player that good, can't you just sort of have a, a rule where, like, well, he's not going to press like the rest of them, but it's all right for what he gives us? Yeah, listen, Real Madrid can carry him. And this is Real Madrid that had the most fantastic team back then. And Carlo Ancelotti come in, came in, and at the time he was asked, you know, Di Maria or Mesut Ozil, one of them has to be sold. And he sold Mesut Ozil despite the fact that he said that he actually probably is a better player in, in terms of technical quality. But he said in terms of character and dynamism and who helps out the team more, who's willing to fill in the gaps and, and help the squad, I prefer Di Maria. And that was it. Ozil was sold to Arsenal. So this is something that he needs to look at because this is the second club now. Um, and another coach who thinks that he doesn't have the character or the ability to provide for the team. Uh, and, and you can't just be... now Nowadays, it's too much of a luxury to have a player there that has all the talent but isn't really helping the rest of the side, unless you're Ronaldo or Messi, who's scoring like a ridiculous number of goals. The one thing that Emery has been, and you can't <clears> argue, he's been really bold since he came to Arsenal. I mean, one of his first acts was basically to tell Jack Wilshere, you're not good enough, get out. And he was the longest-serving midfielder, the fan favourite. That was a big call. A similar call was made on Aaron Ramsey a few months later, and he's been really bold with his 
changes in matches and off the pitch as well in training in just everything he's done he's just, he's gone he's he's basically backed himself and made big decisions which I think is what Arsenal really needed particularly in the post Wenger era someone who had the balls to do that the issue is and, and Emery I think you could admire the way he says I don't care what Ozil earns I don't care what anyone earns they're all the same for me every player's the same it's just what you can provide for the team I admire that I think that's a good thing to do but the issue is that what Ozil earns is a major factor behind this whole situation that it's Ozil that causes the financial strain that means they can't give Ramsey a new contract for the money that Ramsey wants. It's Ozil that partly, not entirely, means that they can't buy anyone this January. Ozil's salary is a big factor behind the whole underlying problems for Arsenal. So yes, you can say he can't play in the team because he's not good enough as a player, but that has long, wide-reaching sort of complications and implications. Is Ozil pals with the first team? Like, Is he actually good good friends that you know of with any of the players in the squad to the point it could cause a problem I think there's no suggestion that he's unpopular or disliked by anyone at the club now he seems like he's not the kind of guy to throw his toys at the pram and ruffle feathers and be a really disruptive presence I think he's quite quiet he's quite sort of quiet introverted character very rich introverted character a very wealthy introverted <laughs> character yeah but it's but interesting because where, he... where, where could he go re- realistically and where would he want to go I mean China would probably pay him the money he's getting but does he want to go there why, why would you well, uh, I, I feel like an Italian club might want to go in for him, but it's got to be one of the ones that are willing to pay this kind of money, yeah. unless he's. But what is, where's Mkhitaryan? He's injured. injured. He's injured. Right, because there's such a lack of creativity, mm. like you said, in midfield. Mm. That was that was the problem. And Mkhitaryan's the same for me. That's all he doesn't do. He's not very good at the defensive side of the game. Mm. He doesn't. I don't think his positioning is very good when he's trying to get back to defend when they're doing the high pressing bit, and you can't have both of them in the team. It's a nightmare. Ramsey's pretty terrible for it as well but he also runs forward and leaves position so his positional discipline is probably what Emery doesn't like very much about him and I can't speak for Emery but you saw when he came on he was just charging forward the whole time you can't play him in a three if he's the the ten then he just nips on next to the striker and you're missing someone in that position as well don't, don't, me, don't tell me these things <laughs> we'll get into the potential implications <laughs> of him playing at yeah. defences a little bit later on what about West Ham JJ Declan Rice looks a real talent He's a good little player, Declan Rice. Um, just he's, he's sort of built like a defender, but he plays in that um, the hole just between the midfield and the defence. Really tidy. His first pass is always neat, keeps it going. So when West Ham lose possession, he's back there to help them out. But when they win it back, he always plays that nice little first ball that makes them be able to to build their attacks again. He scored his first goal for the club. It was mm. a nice finish. Mm. Uh, from a, came out from a corner, I think it was, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah. Um, I thought West Ham were OK, but... They just don't have as good players as other clubs, so they'll probably finish just below them. What about <laughs> Nasri, Sam? How did he look? Nasri was really good. Second he, debut in England. He, yeah, I thought... Yeah, I mean, he's he's getting, the bang, getting the gang back together, isn't he? Pellegrini. Bal- <laughs> Balotelli next. <laughs> Imagine, that would face on that. Balotelli feels like quite a West Ham signing. That would be a lot of fun. Uh, but no, if you look at their team, they had they had Antonio... Anderson, Nasri, and Anatovic all starting against the big six team. Like Pellegrini's really going for it. Like he's he really likes this attacking way of playing, and he's got these attacking players who play some really nice stuff. And I think mm-hmm. I think West Ham, are on paper, and when they play their best, you know, their seventh best team, and the, they they are the, the best of the rest beneath the big six. I think it's got a nice balance now as well, yeah. especially with Rice. I mean, all the difference. Mm. How, does, it there? how does it feel in the stadium there now? Is there any sense that they've kind of got over the the weirdness of it? The, the fans seeing behind the team is the atmosphere any better? Because it is mm. noisy there. When like when they score, it's a very different noise to what it sounded like at Upton Park. Mm. But personally, I still find it quite flat. Is that and because the press seats are terrible there? They are really far away from the pitch, <laughs> which is quite annoying. Um, and you have to take an elevator up to them, which is a real pain. An but, elevator? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a pain. We call it a lift here, mate. 
Neil Warnock's here. No, it was actually David Sullivan. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to the rest of the Premier League. Liverpool back to winning ways. Uh, back to winning ugly at Brighton. Given that Liverpool were coming off that two-game losing streak, would you like to have seen a little bit more attacking from Chris Hutton's team, Mina? Yeah, I mean, playing sort of a, they were sitting deep in a four-five-one formation. It was just like this is the chance to really go for it, especially considering that they have a, a centre back missing and, and they had to play Fabinho in there, who, by the way, did a great job except for that wobble in the beginning. I mean, putting him in there, why not apply as much pressure? And they did apply a little bit of pressure on him, but I just felt like they, they were very cautious in the way that they attacked. Um, I think Glenn Murray at the time had just seven touches of the ball in the first half. And you're thinking you need to get the ball to him as quickly as possible. You need to try to shake the side that is at the moment sort of suffering a little bit psychologically after two losses. So why not go for it? But I I did also think Liverpool played a very mature game. Um, I thought that they showed us that despite that wobble, despite the defeat, they are still a side that are to be reckoned with. They are still composed and know how to force a win. We saw, didn't we, at the start of the season how they'd sort of they're grinding out one nils quite often, and they were sort of defensive first, then you know attacking later. But and then in December that sort of changed, and they sort of came back to our free flowing Liverpool, and everyone was very excited again. I think it, I think it makes sense, and it's probably a good sign that they can they can when needed, you know, when having, having lost two games and the pressure's on a bit, they they sort of reverted back to right. Let's first and foremost be solid, and mm-hmm. we can trust Salah to do something further forward. And I think that the fact that they have that now, I mean, there's so much to be said about this already, but the fact that they have that capability now is why they are where they are. Pressure certainly on Man City playing second. They play Wolves on Monday night. Wolves proven themselves in the past of beating big teams. Do you think they'll cause uh, a, a mild upset against City on Monday night, JJ? Um, absolutely could. It's a, They've got some very good players as well. They've got a good midfield. They play that different shape. I wonder what shape um, Guardiola will play against them because he tends to adapt when he's playing against and Wolves are always a 3-4-3. It's just hard to predict. I I have no idea what's going to happen because by tomorrow, this was recorded on a Monday, obviously tomorrow, I could say that Man City are going to win this 4-0 and then they draw (laughs) 2 all or something like that. I will will press you for a prediction now, Joseph. Well, I'm not going to give you one. And there's a... (laughs) The other thing as well... um, Oh, I've totally forgot my point. Wolves have, Wolves have either drawn or beaten each a member of the Big Six. I know Liverpool's in the FA Cup, but that's you know they are the giant killers supreme this season. I think they, they drew with City. Yeah, at, mm-hmm. drew at, yeah. at Molyneux right in the uh, start of the season, and I think it's because they they seem to be better when they've got space to run into, and mm. Neves can spray his fifty yard passes in behind defence. Yeah, he's been great. As yeah. well as we're going to see is. Um, that Land Liverpool have won that game against Brighton. That's the, the gap back to seven points. I know it's just for one day, but it must make a bit of a difference because it looks seven looks so much bigger than four. Yeah, so when you're taking them on, you're like, if we lose this, we are really goosed. But if you win, you're close to you know four points is close to it. But they've proved Man City at least in that match against Liverpool because I obviously haven't been on after that. Oh yeah, we can talk about that, didn't we? <laughs> no, I thought that that was a really amazing performance. Sorry, what did you say? We didn't, get, we didn't get a chance to talk about that. No, I know. Mm. It's a shame, actually. It's, it might be for the best. Because you, you, uh, you could have gloated all your way through. I'm not gloating. But I, I thought that they had actually done a great job. So perhaps they can go all out for the win, even if it means sacrificing their style at times. Two own goals against Fulham. Zero shots on target for Burnley, who beat them. Is this the stench of doomed relegation wafting over the Thames into the poshest parts of London? Have you seen any real improvement under Ranieri, Sam? No. I mean, defensively, 
they are more solid than they were and they are shipping less goals, but I think that's hurt them going further forward and they seem to have less uh, creativity, less sort of ideas. And you look at you just look at that team and the issue with hiring Ranieri in the first place, and I don't think I've ever said this on the podcast, if I have before, then shut me up. But that squad has been built by Jukanovic, built for Jukanovic, not by Jukanovic at all, built for Jukanovic to play a certain style of passing, attractive, possession-based football. To then hire a manager who's, who's idea of football is completely different doesn't make a huge amount of sense to me because he's now getting players who are good at doing one thing to try and do something completely the opposite and I think when the players have said that it's easier to go the other ways and to learn how to be solid than build but it doesn't it doesn't make it doesn't doesn't strike me as sort of joined up thinking and um Tony Khan's now promised to make more signings in January I think well I'm not sure actually making more signings is a, is a solution here they sort of made too many well they definitely made too many in the summer so sort of throwing more sort of stuff at the wall right. and seeing what sticks and it doesn't seem like a particularly good idea to me. it's panic strategy and then what happens after they do if they do okay after the signings come in and then they realise that that style of football only really keeps you about 16th, 15th, 14th so now we're going to go and try and be possession again well, <laughs> and you've got all counter-attack players this goes around in circles I speak from bitter QPR based experience about this but if you keep changing manager and each manager inevitably has a slightly different style from yeah. the last unless you're crazy disciplined like Southampton used to be about wanting to play a certain style having an identity that runs through the whole club you just end up with these layers and layers of players in your squad who've been brought in to do a certain thing and it's a fast track to financial ruin as yeah. well if you, if you might be in danger of, of going down as, as Fulham uh, look like they someone, might be someone like Tom Kearney for example who was, he was the club captain and last year he was like the absolute key to them being good after Christmas and brilliant after Christmas and they went on that long unbeaten run one of the playoffs he scored the winning goal in the player final and he is like the absolute he's your sort of David Silver type controlling everything dictating the whole play and he, he didn't start against Burnley I mean he's got to the stage now where he's sort of in and out of the team because he's not that relevant because they're not playing that way anyway they're he's just going too slow possession he doesn't release it quick enough and Ranieri's all about transitions quick transitions forward vertical passes mm. And that player doesn't suit it. He's your best player. <laughs> You're not playing to his strengths. I just find it baffling. This but, is what's uh, annoying about Ranieri is he doesn't tend to adapt to what players he has. He he has a style and he tries to enforce that style. And it works a lot of times, but sometimes if he does have a team that have a different set of skills, it, it, I think it takes skill to actually adapt to the players you have and that's something he doesn't do very well. What do you think of Watford, Mina? They are seventh. Uh, similar to West Ham, uh, a, a club having a pretty good season, slightly under the radar. Can they keep it going? They have good enough players. I don't think that they make the most of the chances that they do create. Um, this is the thing. I think they are. They will be there, there and thereabouts because I think their players are good enough and better than most of what they are, they are facing. But the team that I think has really changed is Southampton under Hasenhutl. I think that that game yesterday showed us just how much... It's not that they are playing fantastic football or they are side now that are difficult to beat, but what's interesting about them is how much they're interested in actually closing down the opponent, getting to the ball, trying to make something work. It's that ambition and courage made all the difference to them. Despite the defeat to Leicester, you thought Claude Puel deserved a little bit of credit over the weekend, Sam? Yeah, I mean, I fully understand why there is quite a lot of unrest now and unhappiness. Uh, un- unrest, such unrest that an old lady uh, has taken a very small banner <laughs> saying Puel out, please, possibly mm. at the bottom of it, and had it confiscated. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand that, though. Mm. I, they're really the struggling against. They're really struggling to break down teams who come and just sit deep at the King Power. So they've lost a lot of games against teams that they really shouldn't be losing to. And I think this stylistically, I think the fans aren't particularly thrilled by the attempts to play more sort of steady build-up and possession-based play. Uh, and obviously, saying that also applies to players. I mean, Jamie Vardy said himself, it doesn't, doesn't suit me. And obviously, 
for the fans that they have such great memories of Vardy running behind teams on the counter attack that they yeah. really want to maintain that. But it's yeah, like, I think I think Puel I think deserves credit for even when the pressure's getting stronger and stronger, he's sort of maintaining his faith in young English players. I think how often have we seen a manager decide, right, okay, long term thinking goes out the window, I've just got to win this game to keep my job. And he's mm. really not doing that. I mean, this weekend they had uh in the second half, after half time, they had five players who are all English, who are 22 or younger, in the team. Which I think, you know, no other manager in the league is giving that sort of opportunity to young players and helping or trying that hard to build a squad based around young English talent. And I'm sure in four or five years' time, when Puel, I'm sure, won't be there, they'll look back at this sort of era and think, well, actually, that was quite an important transition That's part it. for our club. That's the thing, because then because they can't afford to buy these players to take them to the next level, but mm. these players definitely could. Indeed, he could easily play in a top six Absolutely. Premier League team, mm. in a Champions League team. And you've got J- Chilwell at left-backs, who's going to be one of the best in Europe, yeah, he's like, easily. You've got Pereira, or Ricardo Pereira at right-back. He's young as well. Um, Chowdhury, I'm not, I'm not too sure about where, what his level's going to be at. But you've got all these players that together are growing up as a team and given two, three years like they could be really, really tidy mm. but then you can't Puel has the chance now to build them there and get you know build that thing so they develop into these stars hopefully they don't get poached and bought for £40 million each but that's how you do it that's the only solution that they've got is to buy these young players and turn them into that I think that's why they should support him what about Rio Ferdinand, Mina? Are you going to come to his defence? Uh, he was—he uh, took a lot of criticism for what he said about Mike Ashley at the weekend. Newcastle uh, looking like another transfer window and no investment lost at Chelsea quite predictably. Uh, but Rio Ferdinand said actually Mike Ashley deserves a bit more credit. Newcastle fans should be happy. Did you think he had a point? Um... <laughs> The thing is, right, is that I don't, I'm not one of those people that thinks you have to spend lots of money in order to make your club better. Um, I don't think Mike Ashley's been great, though, so I'm a bit in between her. I what do you guys think? I honestly don't know. I think it's a complicated one. So, is it? Think it, when, well, <laughs> it, now it looks terrible. Mm. When he came in, so this is a, so a lot of it you have to put through a Mike Ashley filter, but when he came in and bought the club, um, he claimed, but he had to put hundreds, I think at least a hundred million of his own money in just to keep it afloat because it was in real trouble the way it had been run before, and they were they were spending money based on future earnings at, to the point where they had no future earnings they could base any money on, so they were in real trouble. But then I agree with me that you don't need to spend money to to build your club, but at the same time you still need to develop and get bigger. There's no one really coming through. They they played like Sean Longstaff, I think his name came yeah. on and played. Um, on the weekend because Shelby was suspended did okay but then if you look at Leicester for example spent 20 million was it on Madison mm-hmm. from Norwich um, and that's the kind of player that I mean uh, Newcastle's record signing is still Michael Owen mm-hmm. was 16 million Shearer was 15 million before that they've never really got close so if they're not investing anywhere I mean you'd see like uh, uh, DeAndre Yedlin was a nightmare all game just getting torn apart at right back against Chelsea and then you've got Christian Atsu, who is amazing at everything except shooting, passing, or crossing. <laughs> but he, that's the thing. So everything, basically. Well, but that's the thing. Like, he's, he's a good footballer. If you played him at five-a-side, you'd be like, oh, who the hell is this guy? He's unbelievable. But on 11's pitch, he's rap. He gets from front to back. Um, he seems to be in the right place at the right time. You know, his movement is good. His dribbling is good. But then his final... I keep saying action. I sound like I'm yeah. a professor of tactics or something. Yeah. But uh, his final action is always bad. 
There is a cross at the end when he's just trying to put a ball, hook it in with his left foot, he's left footed into the box. And um, all the players just, they just go straight for a goal kick and they'll turn and look at him like, what the hell are you doing? Because he must like, be better than that. I think that that's really well said, you know. And, and the fact is, is that he, you don't need lots of money to to build a side or to to make a good club or to actually win even. But it's the fact that he hasn't run it properly. He hasn't put a scouting network in place. He hasn't developed or or invested in youth that he can build up to to push Newcastle forward in the next few years. It's the inner workings of the club that just don't seem to work at the moment. And you've got Rafa Benitez just trying to do a rescue job. I think that's the biggest problem that you have with him. It's not the necess- it's not necessary to spend 40 and 50 million on players, but it is necessary to make sure the club in its in its core is working in order, on every level. Whose side are you on, Sam? Team Rio or team entire population of Newcastle? <laughs> Very much team entire population yeah. of Newcastle. I mean, Mike Ashley promised to spend, and this is a quote, you know, every penny generated by the club to spend on transfers. He hasn't done that. He's broken that promise. You know, our, as you know, Luke Edwards is our man in the northeast. He he knows better than anyone this this kind of problem. But I mean, he made the point quite strongly in a good way to um, Rio on Twitter that. Newcastle win profit over this over the transfer window. Like, look at clubs like Brighton spending like seventy five million on, on players. Clubs like Huddersfield are spending more money than Newcastle. Cardiff spending more money. But than is Newcastle. that smart? Is that smart when they're just but, spending lots of money? What, you, what are they doing that's that's amazing at the moment? That's additional money to their, their budget, their, isn't it? They're yeah. Improving their playing squad. You, you, it's not just you know you don't you don't need to spend to win, but you need to spend to keep up. Everyone else is spending money. I mean, yeah. There's so much TV money coming in. A club like Brighton can splash out a lot of money on a lot of players. As Newcastle, you have to keep up with them, otherwise you're going to get relegated again. That's just like they're just lucky that they've got Benitez there, who mm. is making the absolute best of a, a squad that is, you know, mid-table championship at best. I think. Take that, Newcastle United! Mm. But thank God for Rafa Benitez. You're listening to the Telegraph Audio Football Club, part of the Telegraph Podcasting Network. To find more of our podcasts, just go to telegraph.co.uk/podcasts. Let's move on to the glamorous world of football transfers. We saw a good goal from Willian at the weekend. He's 30 now. Chelsea often quite ruthless when they're uh, with their older players. They move them on uh, quite uh, quite eagerly. But it's easy to understand why they might want to keep him around uh, despite apparent interest from Barcelona. After you, Mina, go ahead. No, I think it's a terrible strategy to get rid of everyone over 30. Um, I, I don't understand it because I really do think that at certain points you, your team needs to be a fine balance between experience and there are some players who perhaps lose something on an athletic level when they age, but they gain something on a, on a mental level, on an understanding of the game, on a positional sense. So I think this ruthless way that they're going about anyone who's over 30, you don't need just young athletes. Sometimes you just need someone who, who thinks better than the rest. Uh, look at Sergio Busquets. How old is he? Um, actually, he's probably not that old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you you always have to have a fine balance of youth and 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 older players, ones who can train the squad, ones who create harmony in the, in the dressing room. Uh, you always need a, a, a likes of Iniesta as well as a, you know Usman Dembele, a fine mix. And I just don't get why they have this strategy. What about Marco Arnautovic, linked heavily with a move to China for loads and loads of money? Would you go? I, I think I would. If I wasn't playing in the country where I was from already and someone said three times your wages, a few years in China, I think I'd say, 
Yes, please. So I do love my job, but if the China Telegraph came across and said you've got 300 grand a week to do the same thing you're doing. Can you do some tactical At a far lower level. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would, I would learn Mandarin. Imagine how many page views you get. It's so easy to get page views in China compared to the, the uh, Premier League of British journalism. But you just do it for a year and you earn heaps and heaps of money. And I mean, it's just a, a person who has a job, really. It doesn't seem like Mark Knightovich is particularly in love with football. It's, he's just very, very good at it. I think that's absolutely fine. If he doesn't care about trying to win titles or cement some sort of legacy and he wants to earn a heap of cash, I mean, do it. (laughs) That was was pretty much what Mark Noble said afterward. He basically said, look, if you're getting offered 400 grand a week, that means you don't have to work for the rest of your life and your kids don't either. So why why wouldn't you? He's 29 years old on Altovich. He's hardly grown up in Austria thinking, I can't wait to play at the London Stadium for West Ham in my older like. You know, yeah. At that age, they're starting to think, "What did you do next? Is it punditry? Quite hard to get into, and it's probably a bit of a job." Or are you go into coaching? Does he really fancy that? If he's not that fussed about the game, just yeah. or How just long chill out. Contracts in, in China. I don't know if it's real contracts being offered yet. Is it? There's no confirmation. It's just rumours. Sure, there's some sort of agreement with what kind of money he'll be getting, but I don't think it has been. Is official. he happily married? No, I don't know. Yeah. But he has got kids though. All this and more will be revealed next week when we look into uh, Mark Arnautovic's personal life. <laughs> let us let us enjoy us. 100 grand a week or something. <laughs> no, I'll go marry him. <laughs> Audio Football Club, in association with Tag Heuer, the official timekeeper of the Premier League. Our timepieces are designed for those who love challenges. Don't crack under pressure is much more than just a claim. It's a state of mind. Let us enjoy a song for Europe with Mina Rizuki. Mina, what has been the reaction in Turin to Aaron Ramsey's mooted move to Juve? It's actually been largely positive. Um, Will he get in the team? (laughs) Yeah, I think so, actually. This is the thing. I mean, they want him now. Uh, because what they've noticed is that, which is something I've said over the summer, is that they have lots of players off the ball that are excellent, but not many on it that can provide, you know, that, that... that's something special that they need, which is why Dybala's had to adjust his position, sort of play just behind it and try to link up play. You've, you're quite dependent now on Bonucci doing something from the back and Pjanic obviously in midfield. Khedira is no longer the athletic beast that he once was. Emre Chan is just a little bit too aggressive for the league, I think. He just always looks like he's looking for a fight, you know. <laughs> then you've got like Rodrigo Bentenko, who's amazing, but still a kid. So you sort of do need a player that understands how to move into the box, how to create space. The only thing that worries me about all of this is what was said before, the positional indiscipline. Um, Allegri is very good at developing players and turning them into excellent ones, even if they were somewhat mediocre or not even that great before. And he is all about the team. So he's, Ramsey has got to buy into that. He's got to buy into the fact of sacrificing yourself for the team. And for me, he's a little bit too individualistic. But he's being compared to John Charles, the next Welshman. I mean, it's all about, oh, well, look at Juventus pulling off another free transfer. But let's just say I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant about it all. What about Christian Pulisic, the biggest move of the transfer window so far, although we won't be seeing him in the Premier League till next season? What sort of player is he going to be for Chelsea? Is he going to be like the new uh, Kevin De Bruyne, but Chelsea-era Kevin De Bruyne, so perhaps not that good? Or, or, or is he the new Eden Hazard? The new Hudson-Odoi. The new Hudson-Odoi. Yeah. Well, people are saying that actually his replacement would be Hazard's brother. So he's a very he's a very interesting player. I don't think he's... Obviously, he's very young, so he's not the finished product yet. He's only 20 years old. He's a man who understands how to take on players. He's... 
it's not that he's hugely flexible and can play anywhere. He's better suited either behind the striker or on the right. He'll take on his man. He's not a guy who will take push the team forward into the final into into the final third. But he is someone that will make it work and he'll do something special um, once you're there. He will always know how to open up play. But I think that his purchase is intelligent for reasons outside of the pitch. He's an American who is born and bred on English football. He is someone that you can use to tap into the American market. On on that PR strategy level, he's everything. And it's a, it's a perfect purchase for them if they want to make sure that their, their branding gets bigger on a commercial level. They make more money and profit. I think it's a huge uh, investment. Yeah, the hype around him when he first came into uh, the Dortmund side was sort of suggesting he could be like the best American player of all time and the commercial ramifications of that would be very, very positive. Some people say Chelsea. he already is the best American player of all time. That is so harsh. He smashed every record. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gattuso had a few interesting things uh, to say about uh, another <laughs> Chelsea target, Gonzalo Higuain. Uh, at the moment, he's our player and we're holding on tightly to him. I don't know what will happen. If it was up to me, I'd keep him at my house and feed him my dinner. Uh, <laughs> dinner notwithstanding, would he fit well in England, Mina? I never know how well players adapt to different leagues. Um, there are just some that just don't do as well in one league as Alvaro Morata. I thought he was sensational in Serie A, sensational in, the, in La Liga, but it's just been really disappointing, obviously. Um, Salah has just gone and, and developed into one of the finest players in the world, but he wasn't that in Serie A before that. He was very good, but perhaps definitely not this level. So you never really know how they fit in, but... What Higuain does is, obviously, his problem is that he's not the best finisher um, at times. Uh, You've seen how many great chances he's missed when playing for Argentina. He obviously gets blamed a lot for them not winning in trophies at times. What he does do is improve the play in final third. They, Gattuso is a little bit upset because he doesn't seem to be happy in Milan. He was obviously the star in Napoli, then became MVP for, for Juventus, very much the man that they relied upon. He's come to Milan and he's really suffered. They have a beautiful relationship on a human level, him and Gattuso. They're always hugging and laughing. And he, he always says that Gattuso is such a great man. And when he finally broke his dark and scored a goal after a run of, what, two months without getting one, he went straight to Gattuso and hugged him. But sadly, I think Gattuso feels a bit a failure on his part on not actually getting the best out of Higuain in the way that Sadi has managed or Allegri. Will he fit into Chelsea? He doesn't have the pace. He's not really the most athletic kind of player, but I do think he's very intelligent. I think he knows how to position himself well to help the rest of the team. Um, and even as a counter-attacking threat, he knows where to, to put himself so that the ball just runs through him and... and and uh, and his teammates can score. I do think he's a great player. I don't think he is sort of the finisher that the likes of Maru Icardi or even Mo Salah are. I think I, think I know who I'd rather have dinner with. Lovely three-course Italian special with Gattuso. <laughs> not, not a plate of cigarettes that you get at Maurizio Sarri's house. JJ Bull, yeah. is that your dossier I can spot on it, the desk? Do you want was, to open yeah. it up? Yeah, I can do that if you want, yeah. Please do. All right, so um, <laughs> it's open. I clicked on it. Hello. So the, <laughs> the dossier, um, which I don't call it. Uh, we talked a bit earlier on about Brighton and Liverpool. I think Chris Hutton is one of the most underrated managers in, I'm not going to say the world, <laughs> in England. Uh, he doesn't, he doesn't, doesn't ever seem to get praise for what he's doing, but he's been excellent for many, many years. He was great at Newcastle. He was unlucky to get um, dismissed from that job. But against Liverpool, I think 
that's the exact strategy for teams who Liverpool are one of the best teams in Europe if not the world they have some of the best individual players they are really hard to play against so if you have a team like Brighton who don't have many good players at all uh, you have to watch your strategy and what he did like Mina was saying is he played a 4-5-1 and they sat behind halfway and they waited for Liverpool to come out to make sure that they had a bit of a they were a bit more exposed they could they could go and Hutton was saying that um, if you try and open up against Liverpool you'll get torn apart so the strategy was to, to keep everything tight and nice and compact and deny them opportunities so they get frustrated. The ball has been forced out wide, and the, so Robertson's and get 2v1, so then they have to go back inside and go to the right, and it'd be 2v1 over there, back inside. And they were waiting until like, the last 15 minutes before they would go for them. If it wasn't for that penalty, I think they would have done it. I think they would have got over the line at 0-0, if not managed to get something on the on the break. Another cool thing they were doing was that they had um, uh, Gross, Pascal Gross and Solly March on the right, but they were hitting balls early to the left because they had Lucadio on the left who was attacking, becoming like an extra striker by coming in. It's just a weird little tactical bit that trying to play against um, Shakiri was the right-sided forward for Liverpool. So that means he'd have to track Lucadio, but he wouldn't do that, you'd expect, because he's Shakiri and that's Lucadio. And um, it just made total sense. I think he's really underrated. Brighton are 13th. Now they've got 26 points. Um, Eddie Howe was talked of as the next England manager and everything, and they're just on 12th or 27. He spent a lot more money than Hutton has. Why isn't Hutton getting talked about? There's been a... England or Ireland boss or something. It's true, actually. He is now. <laughs> Finally, after Maurizio Sarri said that his Chelsea side would beat England every time they played, where do we think the national team of England would finish in the Premier League? And this is assuming Gareth Southgate has access to some sort of cloning technology and he'd be able to have all of his players and they'd also still play for their team. So Harry Maguire plays for England and Leicester in the fictional Premier League. We asked our friends on Twitter... Various shouts. Uh, the general consensus is that they'd be good, not elite. David Manning, Jamesy and Seb had guesses ranging from 6th to 10th. Eggy said simply above Everton. What do you think, Sam? <laughs> uh, I think they'd be pushing for a Champions League place. I think, I think they'd give Chelsea a good game. Yeah, I think man for man. I think that'd be quite... If you to do a composite 11 of England and Chelsea, I think it'd be quite fairly split. Do you think so? Yeah. This yeah. is a team that really struggled to play to score from open play. The, the England team. What's your guess, Mina? Well, oh, for me, I'd, I'd go more eighth to tenth. Uh, I think they're good. I, I don't think there's much fluency in their attacks. Um, so perhaps if they had the same amount of time that Sadi has with Chelsea, and you know, obviously, like day in and day out, they they could be a different team. But based on what I've seen of them and their run in, I mean, to, to the you know, to in the World Cup, then I would say yeah, that they're, they're about a Watford side. Oh. JJ, <laughs> I like that as the judge. I don't know, probably seems me now. I think it'd be mid-table, but if they have time to work on it, then this is the thing. Because right now, Sam, you see, if you put, the players are are half decent. I mean, they're all good. These England players, but they're not managed week in week out by the same manager with mm. plans to put in place to to see how you build and you can change the style of play. So international teams tend to all be counter-attack teams. It's the easiest yeah. one to teach very quickly. So it depends on the quality of player you have. I mean, I think they would get done by even Man United now. Even Man United now. <laughs> but, you know, like Liverpool, Liverpool, Man City would absolutely kill them. I think Wolves would kill them. Maybe. Imagine the set-piece routines they come up with, though, if Gareth Southgate had uh, weeks and weeks to work on them. Oh, there must be only be so many you can do, though. I don't know. Well, they start bringing in, um, you know, that film Basketball, when they start bringing in psych-outs. They'll have to have that thing and part the set-pieces. 
We will never know. That's your lot for this week. Please contact me on Twitter if you'd like to before next Monday's episode. It's at Tom with an H Gibbs. Don't forget you can send us an email as well. It's afcpodcast at telegraph.co.uk. We'll read out the best of what you send us and mention and possibly mispronounce your name. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Search for Telegraph Audio Football Club wherever you get your podcasts. If you have yet to donate five of your precious stars to us on Apple Podcasts, please do. Please do it now. Please leave a good review. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks also to Joel Grove on the buttons. And thank you again to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.